Well, welcome. Great. Give each other a high five or something. It's in St. Emmanuel. So thanks uh, for coming this morning and celebrating with us um, today. This whole series has been a wonderful ex- experience of God's goodness and His grace and His love. And, and throughout that time, I've been listening to the radio, and there's a, there a caller on the radio who said, um, it's not Christmas until I watch this Christmas movie. And I was really surprised by this movie. You'll see why, because I didn't really appreciate this movie nor this text until after this happened with my family. My family is uh, now older. They're sitting over there somewhere. But uh, we were on vacation with seven kids. Our boys are from uh, uh, Josh, Jeremy, and Zach, okay? And those are our boys. And when they were that age, Josh was about five years old at that time. And we were together at Halifax Harbor. And the next slide. Halifax Harbor. It's beautiful. It was summertime. We were vacationing with our Bible study group. Three cars, three families. We were rushing around to all these different vacation spots. And we decided we are going to settle in in Halifax Harbor. And it was wonderful because it was, it was just like Faneuil Hall, right? The harbor there. There's uh, activities, there's booths, there's street performers. It's packed, it's summertime, filled with visitors, and we're in a foreign country. Canada, eh? <laughs> I'm Canadian, eh? I was born in Toronto, so it still felt like a foreign country to me. And what happened is that we, uh, we come to the end of the day, and right after that beautiful picture, we're getting ready, and the dads, the three dads go and pick up their cars or minivans. And it takes a few minutes, right? So I'm in my minivan, I'm driving down, and it's so cool, and all of a sudden I see them, I spot them, because all the kids and moms went to get ice cream. You know where this is going. They get ice cream, and it was so cool watching them all come, because each of the kids, in sort of height order and age order, were coming down with their ice cream cones, licking and melting, right? And they're just falling, one like little ducks. Right? Like little ducks right here. And what happens is that I look and I see Zach and, I, you know, uh, I go down the, the line and uh, I see each of them, you know, one, two, say Zach and Ivan and Jeremy and Ivan and Vivienne. And where's Josh? All of a sudden, this picturesque moment went south. I realized Josh was missing. I honk the horn, I pull over, I jump out of the car, where's Josh? Everyone looks around and says, he was right here. You know how kids say, right here. And the moms would be like, I don't know, I was, you know. Panic, panic ensues, right? All the, okay, huddle all the kids. Okay, you guys stay here, one mom stays here, everyone else spread out. Those next three, four minutes felt like three or four hours. To me because we were running around this whole crowded place looking everywhere for this five-year-old kid with a ice cream cone we were so panicked you know it's, it's one of those moments when you realize you either trust god or you don't right at this moment because so many things could happen near water in a strange place right and uh it, it takes that much time, and we finally we, we say we're going to gather back here in five minutes we finally all gathered in the middle of the parking lot and someone had found Josh. You see, in the meantime, what had happened is that the little guy, he was just following along, and he was eating his ice cream, and everyone took a hard right. <laughs> he, he's going, and he realized, he looked up. He didn't know where everyone was. He panicked. So what do you do? Panicking kids turn around and run. They don't know where they're going. They just, he just ran. He ran for three minutes, and that's why it took us so long to find him. Now, I didn't understand the Christmas movie 
home alone <laughs> until I understood that moment. <laughs> Up to that point, home alone was one of those where, you know, the eight-year-old is home. How could that happen? Reasonable parents, good parents, responsible parents would never let that happen. Well, sorry. And mom, when she realizes he's home, she's on an airplane at this time. She realizes she left the eight-year-old back home, right? Part of it is that we come and we, we, there are picture of perfect moments and then there's reality. And those times we need to recall and remember that God is still with us, Emmanuel. And this morning we're going to take a look and look at this scripture because we're celebrating the birth of Jesus and yet we're also celebrating who he is to us and how he transforms us, how he transforms our relationships, how he transforms and wants to transform the world through us. So this morning, why don't you listen as Jennifer comes and reads this morning's scripture for us. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Thank you. You get the feel of that. Mary and Joseph were not irresponsible either. And yet there was this harrowing experience. And this morning, we're going to take a quick look at this passage and really focus in on the next verse or two and just look at how, and I'm, going to, I'm an old-time preacher, so I'm just going to give you the three points right up front. Is that okay? We're going to talk about three blessings, okay? I call them the triple blessings of Christmas. The triple blessings just let you know that has an Asian-esque feel to it, doesn't it? Because when I was married, I was, I was married under the symbol of the double blessing. But as an Asian Christian, there's triple blessing. And for all of us here, whether Asian or not, we're, we have the triple blessings of Christmas this morning because this story reminds us and tells us that the first blessing is that Jesus comes, when he's in our midst, he transforms our natural home. He transforms our natural home. Take a look at this passage and see, gee, what's going on here? We kind of felt, I think, some of that angst, right, and anxiety and distress of a parent looking for their child. Mary and Joseph are godly people. They go every year to Jerusalem. It's a three and a half day trek one way, right, and a week of celebration during the Passover and another three and a half year, weeks, uh, sorry, days back. I thought I was really good going to, you know, uh, Camp of the Woods. It's like five hours. 
but this is three and a half every year. They're godly people, committed to God. You can tell by how they responded in that announcement from the angels. You can tell how Joseph responded in obedience, even who was asked to marry uh, a woman who was pregnant with another child. He, he and he adopted, right? All this we recognize. They're godly people. A perfect family, as it were. And yet, even they experienced this kind of panic, anxiety, and distress. And in that moment, we can see as we look upon the life of Jesus and his response, I think we see um, how he transforms. The first blessing has how he transforms our earthly human relationships. See, in this verse, um, what we see there is that uh, um, Mary and Joseph, in this passage, uh, his mother asked him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Oh, sorry. Why have you treated like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And his answer, why are you searching for me? Why are you searching for me? Why are you searching for me? It's so interesting. He is challenging their understanding of the father, um, father-mother, parent relationship with the child, right? It would seem like oh, any adolescent should know that they shouldn't be doing all these things, but Jesus is more than that. He's challenging our norms, our understandings of family relationships. And those of us who grow up in high-stress situations, um, uh, I'm going to review my cards. I'm Asian-American, if you haven't been able to figure out, because I'm Canadian, too. Um, Sometimes, you know, what goes on and what's normative in my family would be characterized when I was growing up as I sort of had tiger parents, okay? They didn't go to Yale, but they had the same attitude, okay? And they forced us, they met, especially around studies. Everything was about studies. We even had stories of how if you're a good student, you have to study, study, study. If you're a good son, you study, study, study in order to get, a, get good what? Grades. So you can go to a good school, so you can get a good job, right? They marry a good girl, for me, girl, um, you know, and get a big house and have many good... And you repeat the process. <laughs> so that's what I was geared to do. That was what I was supposed to do. And, but and yet when Jesus comes, he transforms our natural expectations, whether you, you come from tiger parents or helicopter parents, or overwhelmed parents, right? We recognize that when Jesus, Emmanuel, is present, he comes to revolutionize, redefine, and he comes uh, to resource us uh, in our families. He revolutionizes our definition of what family means. This whole time we've been talking about family and where love is and where Christmas is is where we let people in, right? We talked about that this whole week and how it is that we as the people of God understand that family is more than just blood. It's more than just these things. And I'm so happy to be part of the Grace Chapel family because it's not that we all look the same, though we can be family, right, naturally. It's because we choose, by God's grace, to extend his love to all peoples everywhere of all types. And so what we have opportunity to welcome people into our families. Sometimes we're in-laws, sometimes we're outlaws. And yet through our family relationships, we can manifest the love of Jesus. We understand this um, because um, many people realize that if you want to ask the questions, you know, what, I think it's interesting, whenever I read this passage, I say, Whatever, what happened in the first 12 years and the next 20-something years, right? Until age 30. This is the only passage that talks about Jesus when he was little. 
And there's a whole, there's a whole quote unquote infant gospel about it. And if you want to read it, it was written in the fourth century. So it's probably not great history. But it's a cool story of how Jesus went to the pond and the river at age five and he did this thing with the water and made a puddle and they get mud and he made little birds and because it was the Sabbath, because it was the Sabbath, his dad said, hey, son, what are you doing? Joseph said. He said, nothing. He said, fly. Pretty cool story. But it's all fiction. The scriptures tell us here what really happened in his youth. These are the first words of Jesus. And in that, we discover that he redefines what it means to be family. He revolutionizes it. and He reprioritizes how we're to spend our time and our energy. You see, a better understanding of what happened in Jesus' life was probably looking at the Talmud, understanding Jewish literature and the rabbinic studies, and understanding that as a good Jewish kid with devout parents, his life was sort of un- understood. He was understood. He would have been, you know, um, one who at the age, up until the age of five, every year they would make this annual trek, right, to Jerusalem. But that's only three times a year. There'd be other festivals and feasts that they would go to synagogue. Every Saturday they would go to the synagogue to worship together. Every day they would come together and do the five prayers of the Shema, right? Every day they would come together and be, be blessed of God as they ate every day. And that was when he was till the age of five. At the age of five, he continued to do all this, but then at the age of five, he would be enrolled in what we would call Sunday school every day at the synagogue. There was no public education. There was no preschools. You went to synagogue. And these little kids would be memorizing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They would spend the next five years doing that, and then the best of the best students would be asked to enroll in the, what we would call elementary system in the synagogue. They would be reading and understanding not only Torah, the first five books, but the rest of the scriptures, and then they would be helping to in- interpret and understand it. Simultaneously, right, the boys, and mostly the boys, would be learning the trade of their father. So Jesus the carpenter, he learned that from whom? He didn't go to carpentry school. He learned it from his dad. As most young men and women did, they learned it from their parents. Vocationally and educationally, it was very specific. And as we think about how that transforms who we are as a people, as God's people, we recognize that God transforms us with love and grace to help us, that it says in Deuteronomy, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Right? The people, parents, are to teach their children how to do this. And so Jesus transforms the goal of our parenting. He transforms the method of our parenting. He also gives us the resource to parent. I love this book uh, by Gary Thomas. It's called sacred parenting. Some of you know it. I think he's spoken here a number of times. And the, the, the premise of the book is that when you're feeling like Martha, I'm sorry, Mary and Joseph looking and panicking for Jesus, what, what does that tell us? It tells us that we are at our wit's end and that we don't have the resources in and of ourselves to do this thing called creating a home together and equipping the next generation. Recognize that um, Gary Thomas says that he feels that he's not qualified to, to, do, to write a how-to book, but he did realize that he's qualified 
to do a how-to for what it means to be a sacred parent. One who recognized that parenting is God's ordained process for those who are so blessed with children to become more like Jesus. Not only are we imparting and teaching and caring for them and teaching them scripture and God and godliness, but they are teaching us. So if you're a little kid today, you little guys, everyone raise your hand. Everyone raise your hand. You little guys out there? You guys raise your hand? Can all little guys raise your hand? Okay, if you're sitting with your parent or someone older, go up to them and say, I'm your teacher. Okay, turn, you, turn to your parent or you say, I'm your teacher. I'm your teacher in godliness. Not everyone is blessed with children, but for those of us who are, that's what's going on. God is teaching us and giving us the resource as we recognize our finiteness, as we recognize that we are more hypocritical than we dare would admit. I never started yelling until I had sons. Okay, outside from football games. But sons, right? A monster. When it comes to my wife and I would guard the bathroom door so they would make sure they brush their teeth and do all these things, right? And force them into bed so we could have devotions. All these things were just monsters. Let's admit it. And trust God. Trust God to transform us bit by bit. I know some of us have difficult backgrounds. I know some of our families are far, far from perfect. I want to let you know that God is still with us, Emmanuel. He has not abandoned you because your experience is so painful. Actually, if we lean in, he is with us in all the pain and the suffering. You know, when I was in college, we learned uh, from sociologists that oftentimes we tend to idolize our parents when we're young. So when they were kids just looked up to you, they idolize us. And we kind of become God to them, right? God-like in their eyes. And then the next stage is that we become demonized in their eyes. Dad can't do anything right. Right? I remember those years with my boys. Yeah, Dad, you're old and stuffy and fat and you can't do this. You don't understand the newest technology, blah, 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 blah. And then there's another stage. Eventually, we come to a stage where our, we recognize that they're, they're neither God to be idolized, neither to be demonized for all of our wrongs and our quirks and our issues, but they become realized and humanized. That we're all in the process Right? We're all in process. And yes, I probably was too young to be a dad when my first son. And I thought that the only thing I needed to do was apply authority, force him into the car seat, even though he's crying and screaming, just shove him in there because I want to prove that I'm boss. <laughs> I developed a little bit as the number two son came and number three son came. And spiritually, recognizing that we're all in process. So maybe the parents that hurt you are in process too. Emmanuel. The third, uh, sorry, third. We're on the first blessing, sorry. The second blessing, ooh, we're on two. two. The second blessing 
The second, the double blessing, the one I was married under um, in the Asian way, uh, the second blessing is that God not only transforms our earthly and our human natural families, but he also expands the dimensions of our spiritual family. I love this next verse because I think actually from a purely exegetical Bible interpreting understanding, this is probably the most important aspect of this entire passage. In this passage, we read the same verse. Jesus is saying, um, why are you searching for me? He asked. Don't you know that I, I had to be in my father's house? Notice what's going on here. Mary, the distraught mother, and, and Joseph come to him. And they basically, you know, uh, how would you respond if your son was kind of hanging out at 12 and you'd just spent three days looking for him? Right? Under every nook and corner, all the way back, a day's journey, he realized he's gone, but for two days you've been searching for him frantically. Right? You're coming back from Jerusalem, I mean, from, uh, from that trip, and it's a day back, and every person you pass, you're trying to figure out whether your son's among them, right? You go into every square in Jerusalem, every courtyard, and looking for this little guy. Where is the boy Jesus? You can understand how distraught they are, and how Mary forgot what she knew. And she says, how could you treat your father, Joseph, and I marry this way. And Jesus reminds them, reestablishes for them. There is an earthly father that he had who adopted him, and there's responsibilities towards him. But he also had a heavenly father. We celebrate this in Christmas, don't we? The incarnation. We sing about his birth. We know that the eternal Father has always begotten the eternal Son and that the Holy Spirit eternally proceeds from them. This understanding of the incarnation that we believe and understand is the basis of how we can trust Jesus for our lives. If he is not the Son of God in the unique way that he is in Scripture, then according to Apostle Paul, we might as well give it up because it's vain. Only through Jesus do we understand that we have salvation, Emmanuel. But that relationship is so unique, that father and son relationship, even the human relationship pales in comparison between he and Joseph, as wonderful probably as Joseph was. When Jesus comes into our lives, we recognize that not only do we have natural family, we have a supernatural family. Theologians call this, and I'm going to push a little harder on you guys, put, they call this union with Christ. I want you to think about this idea of union with Christ for a moment. When the Apostle Paul used that word and says, in Christo, or in Christ, or in Jesus, what does that mean? There is a special way in which we are in union with Jesus the Son, who is in union with God the Father. Does that make sense? So this mystery, the Eastern Church often calls theosis. How we have become somehow 
sons and daughters of God. Like and in Jesus. Wow, that's profound, especially if we are to read um, the next part, right? This is Jesus' first words. His first words are really about his own identity, his own understanding of who he is. And it's so profound that a 12-year-old Jesus is able to articulate this deep theological reality. Maybe it's because throughout all these years, every trek for three and a half days up to Jerusalem that reminded them every single year of his circumstances of his birth came the same road every year for three and a half days and three and a half days back. I'm sure they talked about how he was called the son of the Most High, Luke chapter 1, right? How he was to be Emmanuel, how he was to be named Jesus. All these absorbed into Jesus. Because we know he also grew in stature. He grew in wisdom. He grew. So he didn't understand, I, I believe he didn't understand everything at point one. Like when he was an infant, he didn't like understand everything. So we see that Jesus extends and understands or expands our dimensions of what it means to be in God. Luke chapter 3, the very next time we see Jesus again is at his baptism. The Father speaks as the Spirit comes, and as he comes out of the baptisms of water of baptism, the, the Spirit says to him, um, God says to him, You are my Son, in whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. For everyone to hear, certainly for Jesus to know and understand more fully at the age of 30. He knew it at 12. The fullness came at 30. You see, we, this is something that I've been, God's been teaching me for the last decade and a half. What does it mean to be truly, deeply, essentially daughters and sons of God? It's not about the things that we do. It's not about the blood that flows through our veins. It's about our relationship with our Heavenly Father and Jesus, His Son. Daughters and sons, we belong. We're beloved and we are honored because of Him. You and I this day, we have this new relationship for those of us who are in Christ. A new relationship that no one can take away from us, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what kind of family backgrounds we have, no matter whether people uh, uh, ignore us or not. You are a daughter in whom he loves, in whom he is well pleased. You are a son in whom he loves, in whom you are well pleased. Expands our dimensions. And expands our dimensions not only vertically but horizontally. In scripture, we see, as it says in, uh, later on in Luke chapter 8, verse 19, when Jesus is told, Your mother and brothers are here. What does Jesus say? Oh, let me go and hug them and wish them a Merry Christmas. He says, Look, 
Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Except those who do the will of God. We recognize, we recognize that the mention is not vertical only, it is horizontal. We are brothers and sisters to each other because of Christ. When we're in Christ, we're in Christ together, not simply alone. That's why we're called Adelphos, right? The word we get for Philadelphia. Okay, you football fans, Philadelphia, did they make it? I don't know, yesterday, but okay. Um, Adelphos, brotherly love. Adelphos means that we are those who are of the same womb. That's what that word comes from. Of the same womb. We are born of the same stuff of each other. And so when we look at each other and we manifest uh, and we greet each other, we're greeting each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we have this opportunity to be this kind of people to each other. I want you children and everybody, all, all you guys are children, I want you guys to give each other a high five to someone who's not in your immediate family and say, welcome, brother or sister. Welcome. Come on. You guys got to move. I know you guys are starting to fall asleep on me. Come on. Come on. Welcome, brother. Welcome, sister. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. You say, Pastor Tom, Pastor Tom, I know this in my brain. I know this in my brain, but in my heart, I have a hard time. And so that's why we need good commercials from Apple. Good commercials from Apple, because I love this commercial. I was trying to get it on video, but I get, apparently we don't have copyright. So you'll settle for pictures. I'll try to walk you through. Up in the mountain, there's a lonely fellow named Frankie. He's not very good looking. Frankie is twiddling with his thingy, and he's recording a song on his Apple phone. Frankie comes down to the village and there, in the tree lighting ceremony, everyone's about to sing, and Frankie goes there by himself, and he's sitting in front, and he puts in the two bulbs in his, in his side, in his neck, and he turns them on, red and, uh, and, and green, and he starts to sing. There's no place like home in the holiday. Da, da, da. And all of a sudden, everyone is silent. The little girl on the side, she's hovering to her mother because they're afraid of Frankie. He's different. He's a foreigner. He doesn't belong. He doesn't look like us. And the only one who makes a move is the little girl. Something inside her pushes her and says she comes and she taps him on the bulb that just went out. And it turns on. And then she starts to sing the same song. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays, because no matter how far away you roam, when you pine for some sunshine of a friendly gaze, for the holidays you can't beat home, sweet home. And tear comes down his cheek. We long for it. We yearn for it. Theologically, we know we're supposed to be striving for it, but so many of us give up. And I want to say that I love that commercial, but an iPhone's not going to get you there. (laughs) 
only Christ. Our union with him. Our fellowship with each other. Then the one another's of scripture can become real. To love, to bear, to confess, to forgive. Then it becomes real. I have an iPhone. It doesn't work that way. I love our community group, life community group. Because through, I've only been here a few months, that life community group has been a great joy for us. And all the folks at East Lexington, can I hear hand for East Lexington folks out there? Yay. Okay. But you guys have been wonderful to us, receiving us. And I've especially enjoyed, I mean, I've been ministering in a Chinese church, and most of the folks that we've known have been Chinese um, because of that situation we've called there since I was a, a youth um, but now, as we've called into more diversity, it's wonderful just to experience that even within our life community group. And having folks who are of different continents, different socioeconomic situations, uh, different life stages, different marital statuses, has really been such an encouragement to me. Because here we begin to experience a foretaste of heaven. The already and the not yet. When we're extending this kind of love, the Emmanuel love of Jesus to each other, we get that foretaste of heaven that will be ours forever and evermore. And so as we go forth from here, we can know that we're not just singly blessed because God transforms our lives in Jesus and our families. Not only doubly blessed because we can experience him in a deeper dimension and his family more deeply, and finally, the triple blessing, and I'm going to really push you theologically because this is not even a word to my knowledge. God blesses us by missionalizing our homes. Missionalizing. You know, you guys know Mission Impossible, right? We're on a mission for God, or, you know, we're doing something purposeful for God. And so God calls us into that mission because in this verse, and this, this is a cool variation of this verse that you may not realize, that many theologians suggest that this verse, um, don't you know that I, Jesus is speaking, I had to be about my father's house, or other, another translation is business or affair. I had to be about my father's affairs. And we recognize Jesus and the, and the flow of the Gospel of Luke. We recognize that the next major thing after the baptism of Jesus, when he realizes who he is in Christ, I mean in God, his son, right, is that he is proclaiming his mission upon the earth. Luke chapter 4. And it reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because you have anointed me to preach good news to the poor, you have sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, for recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was born to die. And he was born to live a life that shows others what a life fully lived should look like. That Jesus is the one who is on mission for God to love and to care and to bless others. And so this day we have an opportunity to realize that we too are called. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I go uh, and teaching them everything that I've taught you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. That was for Paul Borthwick back. He's smiling. Okay. 
No. It's because we are called to be a missional people. God blesses us in the first blessing and the second blessings so that we might be a blessing to the world. Missionalizing homes to go out and to love, to serve, to bless others so that we can invite them home too. This day, children, what is under here? I'll show you if I don't drop everything. I have one of these. Oh, this one. Whoa, that's a bell. And it's wonderful because this fella, this fella named um, Michael Frost, who, who writes a lot of what we'll call missional church things, he talks about how we need to be more and have the idea that we are bells. That we need to bless people with a B to bless. Oh, okay. Can't do that. Too much feedback, right? To bless people, right? Um, the E is to eat together. The um, L is to listen to the Holy Spirit as we are engaging other people to learn of Jesus and his methods and his love for others and to realize and to see ourselves as sent ones. And so as we see um, and understand all these bells and we sing jingle bells, we're an opportunity to realize that we are his people, ringing a bell to invite people to come to dinner. There's a dinner bell. To come home. To come home to him. And so we're going to try this, okay? Because every one of us is a different kind of bell. We have this kind. I have other kind of bells under here. But right now, we're going to try doing this. Because not only are we individual bells, we are a chorus of bells. Some of you guys were here two weeks ago, and this is not that. Okay, this is not that. I am not great at handbells, so I learned this tune. Let's see if you guys can figure this out. That's all I know. I'm going to ask Linda to come because she's going to play a little bit more of that because we know that song, right? What is that? Jingle bells. So every time we jingle a bell, we're reminding folks, we're reminding folks that we are going to be like Jesus. We're going to bless the world. We're going to eat with those who are not like us. We're going to go out and um, listen to God's spirit and guidance for us. We're going to learn of Jesus and we're going to be those seeing ourselves as sent by him. And so, I'm going to change the lyrics if we can. You guys all know the regular one. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Right? I'm going to change it. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun. Oh, what fun it is to live with Jesus all the way. Got it? Okay, with Jesus, live with Jesus all the way, okay? I'm going to ask Linda to help because I don't know that part. <laughs> okay, jing, okay, ready? Jingle, <laughs> okay, I'm going to start singing. You, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. 
Oh, what fun it is to live with Jesus on the way. Okay, good, good try. Can we try again? Okay, that's good. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Oh, she's even better. Okay, yeah, do it there. Do it there. Now we'll do it. But, you know, children, ask your parents for a set of keys. Last time. We, everyone has to do a jingle bell. Come on, come on. Come on, we've got to do this. It's children's hour, isn't it? I thought it was. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Okay, ready? Children, got it? And, and, and children of all ages, not just children, okay. Ready? Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to live with Jesus all the way. Hey, thank you, Linda. The triple blessing. God has given to us in Christ Jesus to transform our human relationships in the home, to give us a new dimension of spirituality so we could extend and experience his love for us and his love for each other, and to be those who are in mission with him, to welcome others, to care, to love, to minister to others, so that they would be welcome home as well. I want to close with this video of a Gal coming home. She was part of our original drama. It's early, but I can hear everyone in the house. My dad's downstairs rattling the coffee pot. My mom just opened the oven. And my brother is snoring. I don't know how his wife puts up with that. In about an hour, the doorbell will start ringing, and the kitchen will smell like food. And there will be hugs and presents and conversation. There will be Christmas. I haven't lived here in years. I have an apartment in another state. I have a job, friends, a life. But when I come back to this house and I sleep in my old bedroom, it's like the ghosts of all of my Christmases past are here, watching, reminding me where I began, of the people who knew and loved me first however imperfectly we've done it. My family has seen each other at our worst and our best time and time again. I struggled with coming this year. Our holidays are changing and we're all just trying to find our place in this home. My grandpa passed away. My younger brother got married. My dad is watching his cholesterol. And my aunt Diane, <laughs> She is a wild card. I mean, she makes everyone uncomfortable at some point every Christmas. But today, I want to make sure that my new sister-in-law feels welcome. I like having new voices and faces at the table. We are not that perfect Christmas photo of us from 1995, staying the same while the world moves on around us. I mean, Jesus didn't stay in his manger. He probably never saw that place again. Christmas wasn't just his birthday. I mean, it wasn't a holiday. It wasn't the scene that he recreated every year, just as it was. Christmas was his life. It was something that happened wherever he went. It lived and grew and breathed. 
That's the kind of Christmas and home that I want for myself, for my family and friends, for my not friends, for the world.